According to Statistics Canada, Canada's job vacancy rate for the second quarter of 2021 was the highest on record with more than 730,000 unfilled positions across our country. As the executive director for Dress for Success, Amy Robichaud and her team worked tirelessly to get as many women in the workforce here in the Lower Mainland as possible. Amy entered the role in 2019 and brings with her a decade of experience helping nonprofit and charitable organizations across North America advance their ideas, revenue, and diversity goals through policy and practice. Some of Amy's previous roles included being Director of Partnership and Engagement for Minerva and the co-founder of FundHer.ca and is a public speaker on topics such as mental health, women in politics, leadership, and civic engagement. Dress for Success has won the lottery when recruiting Amy. Founded in 1997, the organization has over 140 offices in 23 countries and looks to empower women by providing career services and skill development programs. Over 1 million women around the world have accessed these services to help them take the next step in their career ladder and thrive in the marketplace. Amy, thanks for being on the show today. I'm very excited to speak to you about Dress for Success and how it is more than just a new outfit. Now, because of the name of your organization, I made sure to dress for success. Hopefully, we'll pull this off. Yeah, I, I appreciate that. And you look so. pretty sharp today, too, by the way. Um, so let's start by talking about dress for success. I'm going to start by giving you what my impression was of dress for success before we had our pre-podcast call the other week. My impression was this is an organization that's there to support women and largely was just about giving them was about giving them some nice clothes to wear to make them feel more confident and prepared for job interviews. From reading this introduction after our pre-chat, I know it's more than that. So maybe can you highlight how that's, it's much more than just that. Yeah, we certainly go beyond the suit. So our role at Dress for Success here in Vancouver is to empower women into good jobs, financial independence, and personal success. And we do that in through three programming streams. One is the one that you mentioned that most people know us for. It's our namesake. It's our dressing services. So we help women uh, with free professional attire for interviews or internships. Um, And once they get the job, we help them with a couple outfits to get through to that first paycheck. Uh, We also also do special suitings for women who may have uh, court dates or who are going uh, to any events where they might need to to look a part that they haven't had to look before and feel like they belong. Our other program stream is our career services, where we provide pre-employment counseling, uh, one-on-one and in workshop format to women who are looking to enter or re-enter the job market. Uh, So that's everything from helping to do interview prep, to mock interviews, to just sitting with a woman and and helping her navigate through her options. She's been unemployed for a while or has always been underemployed, helping her to figure out what is her best step forward. Uh, We also help with government services, so either helping women navigate what services are available to them while they're um, going through hard times to help them make ends meet, Oh, okay. uh, and good. peer support. So just being there to be a shoulder to listen, uh, you know, a shoulder to to cry on sometimes, yeah. uh, and really just to listen to. Yeah. Our third component is about leadership and career retention. So we run a cohort program with our clients where we help women stay in the workforce 
once they get there and advance in the workforce. And of course, our advocacy for economic inclusion and gender equity rolled, runs through all three of those program streams. Okay, that's really good. Well, let's we're going to talk about all those. Um, and I should make sure the listeners understand that there's going to be two main themes here. One is talking about dress for success. We're going to talk about these three components. But we're also going to then also switch to having you give people like myself who employ both men and women and are continuing to look to hire more people, ways in which we can do better at um, creating a good environment for women to not only work here, but actually to apply in the first place. I want to yeah. get into that. I am always happy to tell men okay. leadership what to do. Don't worry about <laughs> okay, it. Okay, <laughs> sounds good. Okay, so let's start with the first part, which is um, the dress part. Now, you used a f- phrase for me in our pre-podcast call called enclosed cognition. Yeah. So tell, tell our listeners what enclosed cognition is. So enclosed cognition is the psychological term for what we, the attributes and symbolism we cognitively give to clothes. So let's think uh, some really typical examples. Um, A judge's robe. We know what that instinctively, we're culturally taught what that means. Uh, A white coat for a doctor. Um, We know what that means. Uh, And if you go into the business world, sort of less programmatically, a suit and tie, uh, a jacket uh, for women, dresses and blazers. We all ascribe specific meaning to what those clothes look like. When somebody is wearing them, it gives us symbols and clues to who they are, what they do, what their status is. Right. Uh, and then when we take that concept of enclosed cognition, we put that into our lives, we all have that in our own lives too. We have that we pair of jeans that we feel the best in. We have our favorite sweater or our, our you know, the lucky cufflinks. Um, and that's all meaning and symbols that we've ascribed to clothing. So we do it to our own clothes. We also do it daily, subconsciously, and sometimes consciously when we interact with other people. Right. Well, it's a good point. I mean, I definitely pay attention to that when people come in and get interviewed with me to see how they dress. Because for me, for us uh, in the financial services business, um, there's a famous quote, which is, there's nothing casual about managing billions. Mm-hmm. And so we, we really support casual Saturdays and Sundays. Right. And, yeah. <laughs> and so, so I know that I look for that. Um, and it's interesting, this enclosed cognition. I can relate to that in the sense that... Uh, when I first started my career and had this insane amount of student debt, I couldn't even afford a proper suit. I actually didn't have a suit. I couldn't mm-hmm. afford a suit jacket. I went to Tip Top Tailors or Moore's and bought a couple of dress shirts and ties. And I admit that today, if I'm not wearing a, a blazer or a dress, a, a, a suit jacket, I feel a little bit insecure yeah. in myself. Absolutely. Yeah, even though it's like 22 years later and I should have really no reason to feel that way. But that's the role that fashion and clothing, how we clothe our bodies, plays in our lives. Yeah. It's as much about how other people will see us about, as it is about how we see ourselves, our own confidence, our own ability to succeed. Yeah. And for so many people who live in in on the margins or who have been marginalized because of gender or race, clothing can be a really important tool, almost, some, almost a piece of armor right. to help navigate a world that wasn't built for them. Good point. Now, are the women that we're talking about here, I, I got this vision of, um, you know, a lady who's working at Tim Hortons and wants to become a receptionist at an office building. Is that kind of a good perspective of, of the kind of customers we're talking about here? Or do you actually have non-white collar jobbed, uh, if, if I can use that term, um, women who are looking for support how to dress yeah. for a job that's not even in an office. Maybe yeah. it's in a lab or it's Absolutely. in a... Absolutely. Okay. So our, our clients, 
span the gamut in terms of industries. Okay. There is a lot of uh, sort of financial administrative uh, and education and service workers, um, sort of service industry or customer service industry workers that, that our clients represent. Okay. But they also represent lab technicians and uh, engineer techs or site managers, um, and they may be in hospitality. So okay. they're really right across the board. What rings really true to me about the the, the woman you ex- you described in your Tim Hortons to office administrative role yeah. is that you're identifying a woman who's likely underemployed yes. in a service job, who's yeah. looking for a job that is a better uh, has a better ability to match her skills to the services that are required of her, or uh, as the government's fond of saying um, in their pre-employment programs, task to talent. So we we help a lot of our clients go from underemployment to full employment, jobs that are better suited to their highest level of potential, and they're gonna also allow them to take those next steps forward. Yeah, yeah, okay, that's good. And I'm glad you touched on the underemployment part because I, I wanted to spend a few minutes talking about that. Now, on your survey that you, t- you mentioned, mm-hmm. um, this was a survey you did last year, Yeah. right? And it's called your client survey. Uh, that so this was a survey you administered with your existing or people who had, uh, tapped into Dress for Success services in the past, right? Yeah. So the the clients in the survey would have been representative of our 2019 and our 2020 clients. Okay. So you've got a fairly strong pandemic cohort in there. Yeah. So it shows that the majority of those people were uh, geographically based in Vancouver. Forty percent of them are in Vancouver. Although you had the other outlying regions, including Tri-Cities, which is 10%, which is kind of interesting. Mm -hmm. Pretty big representation there. Um, So how do you go about making sure that you're providing the same services to women in these various geographic regions? Like, is it... Is there any kind of catering to that? Or is it sort of like, should should someone in the Tri-Cities... A lady there be able to get the same services absolutely downtown Vancouver. so our our mandate is a is a hundred square kilometers sort of as the crow flies oh, from our okay. uh, headquarters which is yeah. down here at Granville and Hastings yeah um, so we offer all of our programs in person we also offer all of our programs including our dressing services or our styling appointments virtually uh, which means that a woman who's in the tri-cities who you know for her that west coast express could be a long train ride in mm-hmm. uh, can can go on a zoom call uh, with one of our stylists and have everything f- measured to fit presented to her worked out and she can pick it up or we get that package delivered to her okay same for our other programs our cohort learning programs and our workshops are available virtually and in person. Um, obviously, uh, during the pandemic, those were all virtual. Yeah. Uh, so we do everything we can to be as, as fully inclusive as possible, including uh, with clients who may not have access to uh, digital technology to come in. Um, we have partnerships uh, with both TELUS and Bell that allow us to get smartphones and data plans to them so they're able to fully participate. Oh, that's, that's really nice. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. I mean, if you don't have a smartphone, how do you get ahead, right? It's good. It's so interesting, those small little things that a lot of people just kind of take for granted. And what we saw with a lot of our clients, particularly in the last 20 months, is they may have had one home computer and one smartphone. And all of a sudden, when your work is virtual and your kid's school is virtual and your interviews are virtual, that's actually not enough for a family. You have to have more than one device. So the digital divide just keeps growing. Um, And uh, on the topic of uh, volunteers versus Mm -hmm. employed individuals, how, how many, full-time equivalents do you have at Dress for Success? 
Yeah, so we have uh, 10 full-time equivalent employees. Yeah. We have just over 300 volunteers who work wow. with us. So we, we like to say that um, our employees are the backbone of our organization, yeah. but it is our volunteers that are the heart and lungs and and soul of everything we do. Wow. Are any of those volunteers uh, like past um, sort of clients, I guess? Yeah, you? so uh, I joke sometimes that the Dress for Success family is a little bit like the mafia. You, once you're in, you never get out. <laughs> okay. uh, and our, you know, it's what I believe makes our services and our community unique is that somebody might start as a client with us. Um, uh, we've been in Vancouver since 1999. So they may have started with a client as a client with us in the early aughts um, and found a good job and become personally successful and decided to give back. We've had clients donate the clothes that we gave them back to the boutique for oh, other wow. women to be able to go through. We have clients who now volunteer for us. Um, and in fact, my program director, who is one of the most phenomenal women and leaders you'll ever meet, started with us as a client. Really? Um, and, you know, again, during the last year when the world was top topsy-turvy for us, we had volunteers become clients. Um, and my staff, you know, we sit through some of our own workshops and come out the other side going, geez, we were a client for that 90 minutes. And uh, and it, it really becomes a community of women who are lifting each other, lifting as we rise. Yeah. Um, and one of our other major values is dignity. And I think having that approach to the work we do, which is not about you're a client and you need help. I'm a volunteer, a staff member, and I can give you help, but actually much more about building a relationship. You're a woman looking to succeed. I'm a woman who wants to help you succeed and succeed myself. Yeah. Let's partner up. Let's build a network. Let's build a community and have each other's backs. Wow, that's really neat. What a, what a great program. Um, I want to reference, uh, before we get into the second theme here, uh, which is t for you to give mm -hmm. uh, employers like myself some ideas and tips and suggestions on how to not only keep women engaged and feel good at the boat being at their job, but actually how to get some of them apply. I want to talk about that because that's a Absolutely, challenge we really yeah. face. I do want to highlight some of the things I noticed with this. So um, with your survey results, so what one of the questions was, which of the following best describes your employment status when you first contacted DFS, Dress for Success in Vancouver? And nearly half were not employed. Now I'm going to carry that on to one of the other previous questions that you had, which is, which of the following best description best describes your employment status now? And nearly half say, I'm f employed full time. So what's interesting is that you've got um, your sort of intake of people mm -hmm. are largely people coming to you unemployed. But when you did the survey, of course, these are people, so they've at least 50% of them have got a full time position. But let's talk about the underemployed yeah. because that I don't think that 50% of full-time employment necessarily speaks to the and I think did you have an underemployment we don't question? have we don't I don't think we have the underemployed question yeah. in there that's an addition that is definitely going into our our survey and our statistics for this year yeah um but that's true most of the time our entry-level job or the first job that we find uh whether it's any of us coming out of school or coming out of hardship is not the job where we are you know is not our, our forever job or even the best fit. Lots of us take either subs subsistence jobs to make yeah. ends meet. Yes. You have rent to pay, you have to eat. Yeah. Um, and Or lots of us take the first job available because we're worried about scarcity. Yeah. Um, or we don't have a lot of savings. You know, most Canadians have no savings. So they, they take what comes in front of them. One of the things that we offer as a community and as an organization is that we don't, clients don't come in for a year. They start with us, they go through the dressing services program or they work one-on-one -on -one with one of our career coaches um, and they get a job. And then they stick with us. They can yeah. 
join other programs or professional women's group, which helps them. It's a year-long professional development program aimed to get them promoted or into a better job. Yeah. Um, or they can just stick with us as part of our community, attending workshops, using the one-on-one services. Yeah. And what we see is that our clients stick with us. We're, we have the, the privilege in our model of being able to see clients through a career, not yeah. just into financial independence, but that third pillar of personal success as well. So that's yeah. really aligning them with their talents to the job they want. They want yeah. I fundamentally believe that every woman, well, every human, but in our work, every woman deserves to be ambitious. And there's so often this mentality of, in charity, of, uh, you know, this woman is in need. She just needs enough. We, let's just help her get a job. Right. And uh, our goal is to break that down. Just because you are on the margins or you're facing hardship or you're making, you're having trouble making ends meet doesn't mean you're not deserving of the dignity of, of a dream and of ambition. Yeah. And so, of something much bigger. Of something much than bigger. Than just paying the yeah. bills. So let's get you a job that yeah, pays the bills. I love it. And then let's, let's work with you to get into the better job, that personal success and that independence that you, that you need and want. Yeah. What I find interesting, Amy, as we're talking here, is your constant reference to career, career, career. Because I often speak about that too with my own team. I say, look, mm. you should you should look at your life as uh, in this the the work you do. Is it a job or is it a career path? Yeah. Right. Um, so, do you have any philosophy on that when you're talking to these women? Well, the philosophy is that everybody wants meaning. We all want to do something that makes us feel good and that we're good at and that puts puts dinner on the table. Yeah. And so to us, it's again, it's that ability to think about a career, think about being worthy of a career, think about having the ability to have a career. Yeah. And so many of our clients and, and for so many who um, are you know facing poverty or facing hardship or facing marginalization, they haven't been able or allowed to think further than just what's next. Let me get to the next paycheck. Let's get to the next month. Let's pay this rent. Let's pay this power bill. Yeah. And we really want to say, let's get you to a position where you're not thinking that way. And once you're there, let's think bigger. Let's yeah. allow your hopes and dreams and let's encourage them. And let's remember that just because somebody is in a hard time doesn't mean they don't have that ambition or those dreams for a career. So it's really sure. important from a dignity perspective, I think, to treat everybody as on their on a career journey and not just a job hunt. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's really good that you're instilling that kind of message and thinking for a lot of these uh, these ladies because I'm sure at the beginning they may just be thinking about getting a job because when you're in such hard times, you just want a paycheck initially. Absolutely. But if you're reminding them of, the, of that, they can add. They and can it can be really isolating. More. So it could yeah. be it could have been years, months, or years since somebody said, "Hey." You're fantastic right. and smart and worthy of more yeah. than the situation you found yourself in. Yeah. Um, our environment can become a reality so quickly, and we know that's not true. We know that everybody is capable of, of, of you know, what they know they're capable of if given the right tools and the right network. And it's a privilege for those of us who have had those networks and have had that community to encourage. It sounds like you do that with your employees. You think about what's their growth journey and their leadership journey. Um, we want to. We are that network. We are that career coach, that you know, mentor for our for the clients who come through our community. Yeah, yeah, that's really good. Well, I'm I'm learning a lot here. By the way, <laughs> this is great. I mean, it's you know, it as a as a white male and uh, been lucky enough to be in the business I'm in, financial services. It's probably been a bit of a. I mean, I've worked my butt off to get to where I'm at, mm -hmm. but I'm sure that it's nothing compared to what some of these women have to go through. Amy, as I'm reading through your client um, survey here, I, there's a couple things that just are 
speaking to me on the, like just jumping on this page. The first one is the income levels of these people. So, you know, it's interesting as someone who works in finance. I mean, if you're not making uh, at least sixty, seventy thousand dollars to, to me, like a sixty, seventy thousand dollars a year income is like a starting salary. Mm-hmm. And I'm looking at this and nearly 30% of the, the women that are, are you're working with earn less than $20,000 a year. In fact, as I read through this, if I add these numbers up, 29, this is where I, my math has to kick it, about 60%, about, uh, yeah, roughly about six out of 10 of the people, the women who you work with, earn less than $40,000 a year. I mean, in Vancouver, too. Yeah. Well, the the median income for women in the city of Vancouver, yeah. I think based on the last census that we did, so it's a few years ago now, is $37,000. So that's, yeah, that's amazing. That's the median income. That's it's incredible. It's so easy to, to lose sight of actually just how, how much most of us are living on. Yeah. Now, I'm going to make it sound even worse, because yeah. it is worse, <laughs> because it's not only that... 60% of the women that you work with earn less than $40,000 a year, of which 30% of all the women work le- make less than twenty. but 50% of the women are the primary income earners. Mm-hmm. Like, th- this is not like, you know, mom going back to work, got three kids and dad's making, you know, a six-figure income. 50% of the women are the primary income earners. Yeah. Are a lot of the women um, single moms? Uh, we have, I would say we have an overrepresentation of single mothers okay. in our client base. I'd say just as many of them are um, in are in relationship though, or are co-parenting with someone, um, and that person is experiencing unemployment as well or underemployment. Okay. Um, or uh, and I think it's it's important to remember when we talk about sort of the primary income earner too. It could also just be that they are the the top earner in their home. So yes, it might right. be that between two of them, somebody's yeah, bringing in fifteen thousand a year, and, and one's, one's making, making nineteen. Yeah. Absolutely. But I mean, like this, these are really low numbers. I mean, yeah. just for our listener base to get a perspective here, like this, these, these women, I, I mean, at, looking at the survey, you're talking about 50% of your women are primary income earners earning less than $30,000 a year. Sir, it's an, absolutely. The working poor, the um, United Way of the Lower Mainland says that a living wage in the city of Vancouver for yeah. a dual income household is $22 an hour yeah. for each income. So if you're a single mom and you're yeah. not making $44 an hour, yeah. You for your family. You were not making what is considered a living wage. That is enough wow. to pay both your rent and uh, and your mobility ish, your, right. your transport needs and your uh, nourishment needs without having to sacrifice sacrifice something, something give something up. Yeah. yeah. And a good reference you you may know this, but a good reference uh, when you want to translate uh, hourly wages into salary is you just uh, take that number and multiply it by a thousand. So. Mm-hmm. $44 an hour is basically about $44,000 a year. Absolutely. Those work out to be the same. Yeah. The other part that really struck me is that there's no um, there's no age bracket here. I see, like, they're, it's spread across. Like, I mean, yeah. 25 to 30 years old is 20%. 30 to 40 years old is 30%. 40 to 50 years old is 20%. And over 50 is yeah. 17%. So this is affecting women regardless of their age status, really. Absolutely. It's it's across the board. How we, do you read that? What does that tell you? 
it tells me that we, uh, for the progressive language that we use around gender equality, yeah. we are so far from achieving that in terms really? of economic inclusion yeah. and financial independence for women. Um, and again, when we talk about financial independence, we really mean the ability to work and earn your income and support your family without having to rely on social assistance programs, help from family, or uh, a preponderance of publicly accessible programs. To be able yeah. to have the to, to allow your finances to make you independent, to make your own decisions and, and guide your own your own path, be that career or personal. Right. Um, maybe a quick plug for su- gesture success. How do these women get their clothes in the first place? Like, what, I'm assuming you they're, they're donated or are they just purchased from? So a, our a, clothing is donated. Oh, okay. We have they're donated by individuals. We welcome yeah. all new or like new professional or uh, uh, we call it, you know smart casual clothing. Yeah. Um. My my litmus test for donors, if they're thinking, is this something dress for success would want? Is if you're willing to give it to your sister or your niece yeah. or your daughter or your best friend will take it. If it's not good enough for them, it's not good enough for our clients. We also, I have to say, are so blessed by uh, relationships with many Canadian retailers and international retailers who donate brand new clothing to us that is uh, right out of their their stock. Well, I want to call out um, Tracy McVicker and Simply Clothing. She's the chair there. They are the sponsor of our ambassador program and they suit all of our ambassadors with the Simply Clothing line. Uh, TJX, which is the parent brand for Winners, Home Sense okay. and TJ Maxx, they're, uh, they're our largest donor nationally. They have given the single largest retail gift in Canadian history, both in terms of clothing and funds to our organization. It's a wow. million dollars a year. Really? Um, wow. And, uh, you know, uh, like there, there are more than I can name, but also Turnabout, Luxury Resale, and Joy Morrow, who yeah. uh, owns that group of companies who think both about the ecology of clothing and fashion and also about the importance of accessible, affordable clothes uh, for women. And in fact, they opened a store called Turnabout Community where all proceeds uh, at Turnabout Community come directly to Dress for Success. Oh, wow. um, and w- we just, we couldn't do this work without them. Yeah. Um, and of course, you know, I'm a charity, so we can, can't do the work without uh, actual dollars and cents to my staff. While some of them might think they want to be paid in clothes, that's really not appropriate <laughs> either. So, What is your annual operating budget, roughly? So here in Vancouver, our annual operating budget is about uh, 850000 Okay. Um, and Do you get any government funding? We are we are now recipients of government funding. First time, 2020. Uh, we uh, so we're part of a national government funding for all of the affiliates across Canada. Yeah. And I'd say here in Vancouver, it, it's about 15 uh, percent of our budget. Okay. At the so, federal but that's level. federal funding. It's federal funding. Federal, okay. We receive nothing provincially and nothing municipally. Okay. In fact, we are, one of our referral agencies is WorkBC. So we're frankly contributing to the. Uh, provincial economy and the provincial government's cost savings by ha- having their clients referred really? through to us for dressing well, services. Well, after we're done, let's talk about the city <laughs> of Vancouver because they give out a lot of money through grants. So I'm sure you should be one of the people putting your hand up for that. Um, okay, Amy, let's let's switch to talking about advice for employers. This is the part where I get to tell you what to do, right? This is the part okay, you great. tell me what okay. to do. Yeah. And I will be able to tell you whether you gave me good advice or not because I am struggling to get more people hired. Yeah. Now, candidly, for myself, I really don't care if it's a man or a woman. I don't, I'm, I'm kind of like, I look for talent. Mm-hmm. And uh, But I will tell you that, how many women do we have working on our team today? Seven. Okay. So we have, so I have seven ladies working on our team, out of a team of roughly about almost 30. And just to give you a perspective, mm-hmm. and maybe this will be a good leading question for the first, for this. So if I go back three years ago, I had three women working on my team. 
And to me, for me to be able to hire, hire Erica, who was my fourth female hire, it took me forever to get her. And I, and I actually hired her in-house. She actually applied okay. internally. So she kind of knew about our team. But it took me so long to get her hired. It was really, really hard when we had a team of, at that time, we had a team of roughly about 15 men and three women. Mm -hmm. And I got to think if I was a female going to apply for a job and I went on my website, went onto the website, you see, well, like there's three women and 15 men, like how intimidating that would be. Yeah. And we were trying really hard because, you know, as much as I want to hire for talent, I recognize that I, you know, I want to have a properly diverse group and yeah. I don't, I don't want to turn away talented women because they feel like it's too intimidating, but I, I wasn't intentional. It's just I hired who I thought was best at the time. And now today we get way more women applying because we have these seven phenomenal women yeah. working for us and another 23 men. But the ratio doesn't look as bad as it did when yeah. it was 15 and three. Well, there is some science behind okay. how it's that how it's eased up. So sure. there's about a there's a sort of a 30 percent threshold. Okay. That it's hard in, if you're looking to diversify any group. Okay. It's hard to get that first 30% in the door. Okay. And that's because you use the word intimidating, and I think that's fair. I think the closer word is sort of it's uh, foreign, psychologically unsafe even. You know you're going to be different as soon as you walk in the door. Okay. Nobody looks to have to navigate difference and a paycheck at the same time. I mean, Good point. all women want to just go and do their jobs. They don't want to be the woman doing their job. Right. <laughs> uh, and to a certain extent, all women are always the woman doing their job because this entire world was built to play to the needs and desires of men. Yeah. Um, and so there's a privilege that's innate and subconscious in that, that women navigate every day. Okay. And so when you have, the more women you put in an organization, the safer it is for other women to come in. You're gonna attract more people because it's going to be intuitively looking at your group, oh, this place is, I'm not gonna be the only one. I'm not gonna stand out. I'm not gonna constantly have to be represent the women in the room when I'm asked right. the question. I'm not going to be sitting around an idea meeting and have somebody say, well, what do women think? Uh, <laughs> I'm going to be able to be here for my talent and not my gender. Um, and so the gender can become less visible the more genders you have. Mm -hmm. So that 30% threshold is really where it, cognitively for us, we start to, if we see 30% of a group, we start to just see plurality and see part of a group. Okay. So it does get easier. And if you're looking for a talent pipeline and you want to be able to receive talent from the whole pipeline, if you're pulling into a pool that is already diverse, you're going to have a greater access to folks who don't look like just white men. Because there right. are a lot of really talented white men out there and they should get all the jobs that they're qualified for. And other people who are not white men, so women of color, men of color, somebody who is, you know, anybody who, who doesn't, who, you know, is non-binary, they're going to feel, they're going to apply and choose to work for places where they're not going to have to be trailblazers, frankly. Because right. yeah. again, that's a, that's a huge psychological and social additional job role that you put on anybody who's coming into a space. So getting well, those would, first in the door this, yeah, is so important and is, then it gets easier. Okay, well that's helpful and that's interesting to know that statistic and it kind of makes sense because that's exactly our situation today. We get way more women applying now. Um, so what advice would you have? Because I look at our the financial services industry and I know our corporation here as a whole um, is looking to actually yeah. bring in more women and have a more diverse workforce. But how do you how do you get those people? That that was the biggest problem yeah. to me. Is I couldn't even like I I literally would bring the three ladies in and I say, ladies, we've got no women applying for this job, like none, zero. How do I get them to apply? How does an employer who's largely been dominated in the 
in the male yeah. male male dominated industry break this down because yeah. it's like we want to want we want them to apply yeah. but at the same time I'm not going to I I know least myself I will not hire a woman just for the sake of the fact she's a woman she still has to meet the qualifications and requirements yeah. we're looking for I think there's a I think that's a false narrative though that that anybody is expecting organizations to lower their standards of employment to br- to bring diversity into the room Right okay I think that if there is if there are places where I would ask an organization to work harder it's at the recruitment stage yeah. So here are some easy things you can do. Okay. Uh, hire a recruiting firm that is itself uh, led by the kind of individuals that you want to that you want to recruit for, because all of us recruit from our networks. So if your recruiting firm looks a lot like your organization does, and you're trying to recruit people who don't look like any of you, you're probably still going to struggle. There are so so go to a, an organization that is run by a woman of color. Go to a recruiter who can do that, who's going to pull from their network because it's going to be fundamentally different from your network. Yeah. Uh, so I say, like, start at a different place. Okay. Hire the right recruiting firm. Um, and if anything, that's just going to double your network anyway because what's the point of paying somebody to recruit from your same pool of network anyway? Mm-hmm. If you have already have that, find somebody who can hire somewhere else. A uh, couple other things. We all suffer from implicit bias or unconscious bias. Every last one of it. It's why enclosed cognition works, because we read into implicitly when somebody's dressed well that they're more competent. We feel more confident in them. Same thing happens with, with gender and with bias. We like attracts like. We're more comfortable in rooms where everybody looks like us and talks like us and has the same background as us because we feel like there's an, an, an implicit understanding. So let's get that implicit bias out of recruiting. Uh, Go for your for your interviews for your first round. Have it come through to your HR. Have those resumes blind. Take out names. Take out schools. It shouldn't really matter if somebody graduated from Queens or uh, community college if they got the same degree yeah. and they had the same set of career afterwards to hit that qualification pool. Let's pull alma maters out of it. Yeah. Um, and let's pull names out of it, not just gender names, but also also racialized names. So sure. we, I think that can be hugely important. Get your get through your first round on that. Yeah, I'm not saying do that for until the very end because you also want to hire for fit. You've got to sit down and meet with someone and see if if culturally they're going to be yeah. you're, you're going to like them and want to work with them. So still do those pieces. What I would say you can do, and, and it's a practice that I have made on the opposite side, is I guarantee, I promise uh, myself and my hiring process that in the final round of any hiring interview, and I've told recruiters this who've worked with me, I want, I have, I have one man who works for me. <laughs> so I, you know, I'm in the opposite, but I say in the, my final round, I want to be interviewing at least one man. So find me somebody who meets all of my qualifications and bring them to me as a finalist. Uh, and sorry, why is that? Because I think it's important that I, that I'm not just defaulting to a woman would be best at this job. Right. That I'm including somebody. And so, again, if my recruiter's not doing their job and can't recruit so that you're, diversity. So you're suggesting that, that a good a, a piece, a suggestion would be that I tell my yeah. team. My suggestion when, would be don't put, a, don't put a quota on who you hire. But you can put a quota on who you're interviewing. I want to interview at least. I see. I want to see at least one woman in the final round for this job. Right. Don't. We're not going to close this process until we find her. Right. Uh, and then you interview her alongside everyone else. She doesn't get the job. You still have hired the best person for the job, but you've made sure that you've put someone through that process. Yeah. 
Part of the reason that's really important is that interviewing itself is a skill. Yeah. And when even if they're not the most qualified, yeah. the act of actually giving somebody an interview it's, helps them on their career. Right. And it's, it's so philosophically, kind of like making our small contribution to absolutely empowering more. And women by you may them to find somebody who has a slightly different set of qualifications than you were looking for, yeah. but who brings something else that you didn't even think to look for. Yeah. And you won't know that until you're sitting with an interview on them. So, yeah. uh, blind inter uh, sort of blind reviews on the first pass, you know, having a quota of who you want to see represented in your final candidate list, and then interview for the best hire. If it's your final candidate, it's the final candidate list, and work with recruiters who they themselves look like the people you want to hire, because they're going to yeah. be able to pull from that network. If you don't have the network inside your organization, find one that does and go yeah. and do that. Yeah. Once you get them in the door, there's a couple other things to do. Uh, and it's probably before that, but look at your benefits packages. Okay, we're going to yeah. jump to that in a sec because okay. I, I, that's the second part of what I want to talk about, which is the retention part. Great. Let me just ask you a couple more t parts about yeah. the recruiting part because that's please. So what do you do? I'm all about getting women jobs. Okay. Let's keep going. Perfect. <laughs> so what what do you do though when you can't even get women to apply? Like where you, I guess that's your suggestion of that's the recruiter's recommendation. Absolutely. If you but can't I've get... had this situation many times where we put a job posting and we don't even have one woman apply. Right. So I'd say look at your job postings and look at how you frame your criteria. So okay. again, studies tell us yeah. that men will apply to a job that they are 60 to 70% qualified for and they'll they'll think they can talk their way through the rest of it. Because frankly, most of us can. <laughs> right. Uh, most humans can. Yeah. Women tend to not apply to a job unless they reach 100% of the criteria. Really? So women are self-selecting out. So if you're looking really? at your criteria and you're saying I need 7 to 10 years of experience, but in your but even in your own mind, you're like I think a phenomenal candidate with 5 years yeah. that meets all these other could do it. Put 5 years because every woman who has 6 years experience I shouldn't say every woman, but many women who have six years experience are self-selecting out because you said seven to 10. If you say oh, you need to have had at least, you know, X amount of years working on accounts worth this amount or more. Yeah. But really, you know that they could have worked for X amount of years on accounts at just that le level lower and had the same relevant experience. Yeah. Put that. The women, so what you're typically is women don't read between the lines. Lower the description on the job posting lower the bar a little bit on all those criteria I think that I would say not, not make your criteria more flexible here's our okay. ideal candidate our ideal candidate has all of these criteria yeah and if you think you are qualified for this position and you don't meet some of these criteria but you think you bring others to the table we want to see your resume and explain to us in your cover letter why that is. That's good. I like you know, that. You should make note of that. You can say like, like here's 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 the here's the unicorn. Yeah. And here's the because none cause of you, us. Amy, you brought up a really good point because some of my, my very best yeah. employees are ones who did not come from finance. They did not do a business degree. Who have we ever hired that has matched a hundred percent of our job description? Yeah. So. And I don't want to hire people that are just like me. Actually, no. I want to. Could you imagine if we were all exactly our job description and we like <laughs> interviews like you know hi I'm Andrea I have uh, 15, 15 to, to 17 years experience and like that's not how we, that's not how we introduce ourselves yeah, that's, that's not point. how we want people to introduce ourselves yeah so look at your job descriptions and say if I looked at this what I and I am not like if you know how do I make this more inclusive how do I make this yeah. language more inclusive um what do I would you would what you am ever, I really looking for would you recommend like literally just writing we want to hire more women so if you're a woman and you meet most of these criteria please apply I would say, I, I no, I, I would just... I allowed to do that. No, I don't think you are either. Yeah. But I, don't signal women out. I would just say, yeah. uh, 
this is our this is our unicorn. This is what the perfect candidate looks like. Right. We know that there's so many people out there who we may who may be great for this job, who have different backgrounds and experience in this. We welcome you to apply anyway. Yeah, you I will like not that. be, you know, say something you will not be screened out if you have you know, for example, six years experience instead of the seven to seven, 10, 10 yeah. if you have other relevant qualifications. Yeah. So so make it more accessible to folks who have different backgrounds and skills. And let me let me be clear, this is that is as important for women as it is for anybody coming, you know, who's immigrated to this country. Sure. Because they may have a diverse set of experience that are not in the local market, but they might have, you know, fifteen to twenty years of experience in a foreign market and yeah. they're screening out because you've asked for local experience. Yeah. They could be the best hire you've ever made. You want to get them through that first round so that you get to make those decisions and not them making the decisions whether they're a good fit. Okay. Now let's jump to retention. Excellent. Okay. And so you were just about to highlight. So let me just make a note that um, um, that we know there's uh, there's biases in the way in which we hire. Like you yeah. mentioned all these biases. And I think and I think one of the things you want to talk about is the biases, sort of unconscious biases that have been in these legacy benefits packages. Totally. Right? Um, and it seems to me like, I, you know, I know I don't really expect people to look at the benefits package, but it sounds like from what we talked about before, there's a lot of women who do. A lot of people do, especially if you are uh, entering a job, yeah. particularly right now. So let's say you're a young woman, you're entering a job. Let's say that job pays you $60,000 a year, which we've sort of identified as your sort of intuitive floor. But you're probably coming out with close to six figures of student debt. Uh, you're trying to live in this city, which is it, like the average cost of, I think, a one bedroom here now is sixteen fifty a month. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so you have very little money. Mm -hmm. And so you're going to look at your whole compensation package. Also, if you've been well coached, you're going to look at your whole compensation package anyway. Um, and if you're a family, if you have a family, you're also going to look at that because the benefits, does it extend to my kids? Does it yeah. extend to my spouse? Does it include elder care? All of those pieces are going to be in it if you're if you're truly looking at your full level of, compens of, of compensation. Yeah. Interestingly, um, insurers and, in you know, sort of, uh, you know, Benefits and insurance packages in this country tend to have been developed, uh, for the most part, in the 70s and 80s. Yeah, and the implicit really bias much. is that they aren't built for women. Yeah. And not because anybody was like, we're not going to include women, yeah. but because the people they were built for in the workforce was a At workforce that was predominantly male. So yeah. it catered to the the majority. And, and they really haven't now changed it's a much, legacy. Have they? they haven't changed much. So, no. you know, I run an organization that, uh, you know, is mostly women. So we looked over our benefits package and we said a couple things. We said we want this to cover all forms of contraception for for our for our staff, not just uh, the pill. We want I want my staff to be able to have an IUD or have the Depo Provera shot yeah. and have that covered and not have to go out and of were pocket. Were you able to get that? We through? had to switch insurers and we okay. had to it took us a long time to find a package that would cover all of those. Who do you use today? Yeah. Uh, so we work uh, with a, a, an organization that actually uh, pulls from, it's a community fund, it's a, it's a union of insurers that pulls oh, the best oh, wow. from everybody and oh, we were really. really able to customize the package. Yeah. Uh, but that was a lot of work and I had to go in and do it deliberately. So, you know, check those things out because if you have women who are working for you and they're paying an extra cost out of hand for something that should be covered yeah. by the way all of those same insurance programs cover viagra without fail and then only one Is form of contraception for women so it's there's amazing. some bias in there my wife talked about this she's like andrew you can go and get a vasectomy um and it'll the provincial government will pay for it but i have to pay privately for birth control absolutely like an I, iud an iud, IUD. Yeah. yeah 
which is mostly uh, it, which isn't covered by any of the major insurance groups. Yeah, in and that yeah, and that yeah. has nothing to do with even both of which, by the way, are outpatient procedures. Like there's yeah. there's there should that's be no reason on it. Yeah, health. I mean, it's unbelievable. Yeah. So so there's you an equity piece mis- about miscarriages. That. I thought that was a neat one. That's also really important. You know, one in one in three women who uh, undergo pregnancy will miscarry. Um, which means that if you have more than three women working for you, statistically, at some point over some, your in your company, yeah. you've had women who have miscarried while working for you. Uh, we don't have miscarriage coverage provincially uh, through our healthcare system. Um, and so it was really important to me, again, just knowing the demographics of my workforce, and I think it should be really important to any employer to provide for an insurance package to provide for paid leave for either parent uh, in the event of a failed pregnancy um, or, a, a, or a terminated pregnancy. There is time that will be better suited to everybody if, if our staff are able to process trauma and grieve yeah. without having to be at work every day. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's just point. a better thing for, our, for us as employers too. Our, our staff are more productive when they're less worried about their family and their own health. Yeah. So do your insurance packages and your benefits packages provide what your, what, what your staff really need? And if you want more women, let's tailor a package that is going to include what include their needs in that package. So those are a couple pieces. Okay. Flexible care days. So it's not just are you sick, but also you can use this sick day to look after your child or your aging father. Right. You know, in those Good pieces. Point. I think that's really important as well because women tend to still, even when they're working full time, bear the burden, an additional burden of childcare and, and family care at home. Yeah. Uh, but who knows? Maybe your company already has all these things, and that's great. But it doesn't hurt to ask. It doesn't yeah. hurt to sit down and brainstorm. Well, we don't. So I'm going to go. So do you provide advice or coaching for employers like myself, white men who are looking to be that diversity employer, you know, want to help women be successful, uh, but need some help? Other than coming on <laughs> podcasts and giving us advice. <laughs> uh, we don't address for Success Vancouver. Yeah. But uh, Minerva BC does. Minerva BC. And okay. there's another organization locally uh, called Equity Leaders, which okay. is part of a, a group called Next Gen Men, which is really about uh, working ha- working through toxic masculinity and creating inclusive cultures that start with men. So if you have a if you have an all male executive team, uh, Jake Sticka, who runs that organization, is the consultant you want. Okay. Um, you know, I will also do it. I'll accept a generous donation to Dress for Success. But <laughs> I mean, come on genuinely, in, yeah. our yeah. community has phenomenal organizations like those two I've mentioned and others okay. who do a great job at this work and are, are really good at it. Okay. Okay, good. Well, that's good. Now, on uh, November the 3rd, We've got this this time right between 11 a.m. and 2:30 in the afternoon. We do yes. At the Park Vancouver, still time to buy tickets because there's a hundred new tickets being launched today. Yep. Right? Um, is what is called the Success Luncheon with yourself. With myself. Yeah. Uh, tell, us, tell us about what this is. <laughs> so the Success Luncheon is our is the is the signature event fundraiser for Dress for Success Vancouver. Okay. Uh, we're in our ninth year. And this luncheon, I guarantee you, will be the most fun and uplifting afternoon you have had in a very long time. And that's not just because we've all been locked down in our sweatpants for a year and a half, <laughs> but maybe a little. Uh, <laughs> listen, tickets are $200 a seat. Yeah. Uh, you can come and join us at the Park Marriott in person, or you can have a virtual experience where we'll bring lunch to you and you can stream in if you're still wanting to be in your sweatpants on your couch. <laughs> um, and uh, we've got a great lineup of speakers. Angela Sterrett from the CBC is our host. Uh, we have Elaine uh, or Eileen Park Robertson, 
um, who's going to share her story of uh, advocating against anti-Asian racism, um, when, which she experienced in her own life really vividly uh, before she moved to Vancouver. Uh, we've got uh, our Inspiration Award winner, which is one of our clients that, we're, that we feature, who has been an inspiration to all of us. You bring Kleenex. Um, her story is amazing. Um, and we've got all sorts of fun things. Holt Renfrew is our hospitality sponsor. So you'll all, everybody will walk away with something in, in their signature fuchsia, I promise. Uh, and you have a retail shop or something? And we have a, village? yeah, we have a retail village. So yeah. uh, luxury resellers uh, will be there, get a head start on your Christmas shopping. 15% of all those proceeds come back to us. Uh, and two raffles this year, uh, one for two tickets anywhere WestJet flies. I hear the border's opening in a couple weeks. So that's really <laughs> exciting to both Canada and Mexico, WestJet goes there. Um, and David Yerman is uh, joining us as uh, our, our treasures. We've got trinkets and treasures. So every oh ticket goodness. will get you a trinket from Stella and Dot and uh, ability to pull out a treasure maybe from David Yerman, which is my, a my great, wife's it's yeah. my favorite jeweler too. It's a great <laughs> uh, Christmas present or just any time gift really. Um, and uh, lots of stocking stuffers involved in that. So come on and join us. Uh, the program itself is noon till 1.30. So if you're running really tight okay. and you want to bring clients, you can just be there for the luncheon. Otherwise we've got uh, cocktails and retail opportunities be, uh, before starting at 11 and afterwards going to 2.30. And November 3rd is is what day is it? It's, it's a, a Wednesday. It's a Wednesday. Yeah, so yeah, Wednesday. wild Wednesday, yep. middle of the week when you're losing awesome. focus anyway. Come yeah. have lunch with us at the park. <laughs> right. Amy Robichaud, you're the executive director for Dresser Success. Um, fantastic speaker, by the way. I really enjoyed having you on the show. I've learned a lot. Thank you for coming on today and best of luck with your organization in the coming years as well as folks remember to buy those tickets for November 3rd for the, the luncheon event. Thanks for I'm, being on the show. My pleasure. I'm here to help. Okay. Thanks, Amy.